Take out your Bible and turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke, and find chapter 1. Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. If you're new to our service in the last few weeks, we are uh, in a series, a new series that we began a few weeks ago uh, entitled The Story of Salvation, The Story of Salvation. And this morning, we're picking right up where we left off last week. Would you stand with me this morning out of reverence for the Word of God? We're going to be reading, picking up in verse 24. We're kind of uh, picking up on the end of the last story to kind of uh, set stage for the passage we will be in this morning. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, the scriptures say that after these days, his wife, that's Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said unto her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be the called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said to her, said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, we thank you this morning that here in this passage we are given a glimpse into a life of faith. And Lord, as we think about your matchless grace and your matchless favor, what we have already sung about this morning, Lord, we see it in this passage. We we see your grace coming to this young girl. And Lord, we thank you that today your grace is available to us. And I pray that, Lord, if there's a person here this morning that is doubting that, that is um, wondering if the grace of God is available, Lord, may they see with just clear eyes that, that Lord, you are meeting them to extend out your grace to them this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. You be seated. Now, you'll remember last time we're in this story, right, in the Gospel of Luke, as we're discovering that this has been a very dark day in the nation of Israel. There had been no prophetic word of God to his people in over 400 years. And so with that, the nation of Israel had rejected God. Now, they had not rejected God because there had been no word of God. They had rejected God because that was happening in the Old Testament, and they continued to do that all the way into the story you see, they had rejected God, and they had rejected His truth, and they had sunk very deep 
into apostasy. And they had opted, as we discovered last week, for a form of religion that, that wasn't based off of a relationship with God, but it was a form of religion. It was all about self-work and self-effort and self-righteousness. It was this legalistic, ritualistic religion. And, and what we came away with last time, if you weren't with us last week, what we discovered was that regardless how dark the days, God is still working. Amen? Amen. Turn your neighbor and remind him of the fact this morning that God is still working. God is still working. Amen. Amen. And the Old Testament concludes with this promise that, that, that the son of righteousness would rise and that Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of the world, would come. And so Luke begins this gospel to Theophilus, and he is writing, remember, as we discovered a couple weeks ago, this Roman official who is intrigued by Christianity, and Luke is reminding him, along with by nature, you and I, that this new day has dawned. Uh, it has come, that, that the that Messiah has arrived, and that that he has come on the scene, and it was marked by the arrival of these two boys, one, the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist, and the Messiah himself, Jesus Christ. And so last week, we looked at the first part of the story, and today we're going to look at the second. In fact, as you think about these two stories of the angel coming to Zechariah and Mary, there are so many similarities between the two stories. Both include an appearance of an angel. How often does that happen? And how often is it the same angel? Here, Gabriel, the messenger of God, appears. In both stories, the angel comes to them in just ordinary events of life. The, the angel comes to Zechariah, and as we find Mary, in just ordinary moments. Both of these individuals are servants of God. They're faithful servants of God. And both of these stories to these unlikely people come with an announcement of a birth, a birth. We, we just discovered last time that Zachariah and Elizabeth were in, in old years. You say, how old? They were old. And Mary is a virgin. And yet in both of these stories, we discover that there is this announcement of a miraculous birth. And yet Zachariah and Mary couldn't be further from one another. In fact, as you these stories are, are set alongside one another in our Bibles because they're meant to compare and contrast between these two instances. You see, Luke is, is showing something about doubt and faith. He's, he's showing us something about the, the, the forerunner of Christ and the Messiah himself, and he's really laying out for Theophilus this origin story of who Jesus Christ of Nazareth is. And so if you notice in your Bible, just jump into the story with me. Notice in verse 24, the Bible says that after these days, okay, Elizabeth conceived. And, and, and for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, The Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away the reproach of my people. But now notice verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named what? Wait, where, where, does, the, where does the angel go? Nazareth. Now you say, what? Nazareth? Yeah, Nazareth was a place of like no significance. Uh, Nazareth was, was the town that everybody, uh, nobody came from there and nobody went to there. It was, like, it was like the city between the, it was like the town between the big cities. Nobody went there on purpose. You see, Nazareth today, like if you were to like look it up on a map, you'd see like there's like nearly 80,000 people. 
But, but in Bible days, Nazareth was just a small, rural, country town. I mean, they had maybe a few hundred people, Bible scholars would say. And so here is this small, rural town. Out of all the Roman Empire, this is the place where the angel appears. And he comes to the city of Galilee, to this village called Nazareth. Nobody Nobody ventured to Nazareth. It was the place people traveled through. Any of you ever been on a long road trip before? Any of, any of you like ever pull off on the road in one of those places where like all that's there is the gas station? And so like you go to use the restroom and you get some snacks and some beef jerky and then you get back in the car and you're like, thank you, Lord, I don't live there, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's just one of those places that's been around forever, and yet you realize, wait a minute, that's Nazareth. <laughs> that's Nazareth. Like Nazareth is a place that nobody wanted to go to. Nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. And the angel shows up completely unexpected. Notice verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So right away in the story, you and I are introduced to some characters. Uh, we discover these very well-known people that we are very familiar with as the church today, Joseph and Mary. However, however, our familiarity comes to them from the time of year that we're now in as we're all setting up our nativity scenes. How many of you have already got your nativity scene out? Can I see your hand? All right, a few of you. And our nativities, they, they're, they're, they're completely unlike the biblical story. You see, our nativity sets are oftentimes Mary and Joseph look much older than they were, you know. They're, they're in like this really nice, I mean, some of you have like super nice places where they're staying in the inn. And, uh, and, 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 and they're so polished. They're so clean. Like everything just looks right. And yet, I, I want to challenge you this morning for a second as we're looking at this story to kind of set aside all your ideas of what you think the nativity looked like. And I want you with some fresh eyes this morning to consider what the Bible is laying out for us about this couple, Mary and Joseph. They, they are really far different, I think, than many of us would imagine. You say, well, who is Joseph? Notice verse 27. Joseph is of the house of David. Now, what do we know about Joseph? We know that Joseph was a young man. Joseph more than likely uh, would have been a very young man, like teenager. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's a teenager. Yeah, he's a teenager. In Bible times, when you entered into this betrothal period, it often took place when you were a teenager, like 12 to 14 years old. Joseph is a carpenter. He is a young man, and he is poor. Joseph is just trying to make the ends meet and find, in fact, when you go to the temple, when we, when we go to the passage where Joseph and Mary go to the temple, we're just, we'll, we'll discover that Joseph and Mary, uh, in the sacrifice, they take the option for poor people because that's what they were. Uh, they didn't have anything. Joseph is just trying to make ends meet as a carpenter, and he lives in Nazareth, I mean, of all places. I mean, Nathaniel, one of Jesus' followers, said, could anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth was the town that, like, nobody wanted to go to. I mean, it's, it's the town that, like, everybody who's even living in the region, they're like, nothing good comes from there. I won't say what that is uh, parallel to us in Catawba today, but I think there is connections in all of this, all right? And you say, well, what is, it was just, people just thought it was the town dump. 
I mean, that's what they thought. People thought this little village of Nazareth was like the dump of the region. It was just like, now, I'm not saying that's what Ketab is. I'm just saying, I think we all have an idea, something. There's this lineage of David. Notice he comes as a king, but there is absolutely nothing kingly about him. Think about it. Joseph is of the region, the lineage of David, and yet he's not a king. He's poor. He's just trying to make ends meet, and he's betrothed. You say, who is he betrothed to? He's betrothed to Mary. What do we learn about Mary? Well, they're coming in this betrothal process from a very small town. So, I mean, if there's a hundred people, a few hundred people, more than likely Joseph knew her his whole life. More than likely, Joseph grew up in this area with Mary, and, and he knows her. He knows her family. Maybe he had a crush on her since he was a little kid. We're not told. But what do we know? They are in this process to be married. Now, in, in Bible times, betrothal looked really different than what we understand it to be. You see, in, in our day, everybody does what? What do we do? We date to be married. But in Bible times, there was this process of betrothal for marriage. It was really a twofold thing that, 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 that a couple would come together, a young couple would come together, and they would have their families there, and, 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 and they wouldn't live together, they wouldn't sleep together, but, but, but they were young. In fact, in fact the, the average age for a girl to enter a betrothal process in Bible times was the age of 12. Any of you who are 12 in here this morning? I think back to, you know, think about, think, about a, think about a young teenage girl. And here is Mary. And Mary and Joseph, they come together in this betrothal process. Their parents would have had to sign off on it. Their parents would have had to be in favor. In fact, probably what happened was Joseph's father initiated this process for his son as he selects a daughter for his son to marry. And, and notice both fathers are signing off on the ceremony. They enter into this formal agreement and this betrothal would last a year, and it was legally binding. It was this idea that once you entered into this betrothal process, that, that there would be an intent to be married, and that w at the end of a year, those couples would, would come together, and they would be married, and they would formally uh, authorize the marriage and consummate the marriage, and everything would be uh, full and, 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 and final. But in this one-year process, it was legally binding, so much so that if someone wanted to break a betrothal process, the only way they could do that was through a means of divorce. And so here, picture Joseph and Mary, and the Bible says that the angel Gabriel comes to this young girl who, who, who couldn't be probably more than 15. She's probably somewhere between 13 and 14. And the angel says to this girl, that she is going to be the mother of the Son of God. Now I want you to think about that. Those of you who are moms and dads for a minute, think about your child at the age of 12 having this responsibility of being a mother, but then mother to Jesus himself. I mean, think about all the things that we don't allow our kids to do at the age of 12. Like, think of all the restrictions that you as parents placed upon your 12 and 13 and 14-year-old daughter, and yet here Mary is going to take this responsibility of being the mother to the Son of God. And so notice, what do we discover? Well, what we, we, we discover that, that she's a virgin. The Bible makes a point three times to, to make this point, twice in verse 27, once in verse 34, 
that she's a virgin. She hadn't slept with her fiancé or any other man for that matter. Here is Mary, and the angel comes to her. Notice, pick up with me in verse 28. The angel come to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she, notice, was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said unto her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive and in your womb bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. You see, look right up here this morning, my friend. This story is right at the heart of the gospel of Christianity. This story story lies right at the heart of what it means for for the Christian story. And and, and all that we know about our faith and what we believe is that that Jesus was born of a virgin. The, the, The Apostles' Creed that we and many throughout the centuries have affirmed and said that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born born of the Virgin Mary. You see that for Mary, like this baby who, who, who she will hold in her arms would, would one day be her redemption, that, that, that he would one day be her savior. And, and Mary fully in this moment understands this. She, she, she knows what is at stake as she thinks about being the mother to the son of God, that she would be the mother of this Messiah, the one who had been promised. And so we, we see in the story some characters that we're well familiar with. We're introduced to Joseph and Mary, but then the angel tells them something in verse 31 about Jesus. Notice verse 32. We're introduced to this dynamic description of who Jesus Christ will be. He will be great. And so Luke is saying to Theophilus, he says, hey, out of all the things that like, like you want to know about significance, he, you know, that, that, that Jesus' birth and his origin a story as he comes to this world is, is very much unlike, Theophilus, what you would envision. Jesus comes to be born to this poor couple with no significance. He's coming out of this town that's the dump of the region. I mean, he's coming out of Nazareth. And then by any standard of human appearance, we would probably look at that and say, what? That's the Savior of the world. But God does things so unlike how we would do them. The Bible tells us in verse 32 that Jesus will be great and that he will be called the Son of the Most High. Here is Jesus, fully God and fully divine. Fully human, fully divine, the God-man. Augustine said that, 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 that Jesus did not lose his divinity, rather he added to it his humanity. You know, some of us, just there's so much in the story that, that baffles us. We're trying to understand how is Jesus born of a virgin. We're trying to understand how is he fully God and fully man. But for many of us, I want you to understand that the, 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 the incarnation of God becoming man is, 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 is not that Jesus in any way lost any bit of his divinity of who he was, but it's like this divine addition he, he takes on flesh. He takes on humanity. That Christ comes as fully God and fully man. The Bible tells us, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And that notice the Bible says that he will be the son of the most high. It's speaking of his power and his preeminence that Jesus will be God. That he is great. That he is God And that notice the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. This prophecy goes all the way back to the Davidic covenant when God had promised David that from David's line, there would come one who would rule and reign on the throne of David and he would reign forever. And so now now the, the story is all coming together as we're unveiling and seeing who this savior is and that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no what? 
What does that mean? Forever. This is the eternal God bringing His eternal kingdom, His everlasting kingdom. And this story is just, you have to just picture yourself there. It's such a stark contrast between what we read about last week with Zechariah and here with Mary. Because Zechariah's response to the announcement of a birth is, <laughs> what? How is this possible? Like, I'm old, she's older. And Mary gets the same almost impossible news. And Mary says, how is this possible? I believe it, but how is this possible? How will it work? And you see in the life of Mary and Zechariah just such a difference when it comes to the issue of faith. You see, Mary, notice in your Bibles, look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary here is not questioning God. She's not arguing with God. She's not doubting God. She's just simply giving an honest question. You know, the angel comes, he says, hey, you're pregnant. You'll have a baby in nine months. And Mary goes, okay, I believe it. <laughs> but how? I don't, I don't understand this. And the angel gives an explanation. Verse 35, the Spirit of God will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, is also going to have a son. And you're like, can the Bible not let it go that Elizabeth is old, right? It's just hitting it again. Hitting it again. Oh, yeah, by the way, Mary, your relative, like probably her aunt, is also pregnant. I mean, in the back of Mary's mind, she's like, we're going to have a very awkward family reunion here in just a few weeks as all of this comes to light because everybody's going to be asking a lot of questions. But the Gabriel says to her in verse 37, notice, for nothing will be impossible with God. Do you believe that? Church, do you believe that? That with God, nothing is impossible. You see, here's the reality. Here's the picture between Zachariah and Mary. They, they, they serve as a fitting illustration for us in our Christian life because as examples, they point us to the reality that there is only one of two ways of responding to the promise of God. One is doubt. One is faith. And here Mary has faith to believe what God has said. She takes the angel at his word. She believes what the angel says. And, you know, I thought about that this week because so many of us here today have far more information about Christianity. So much of us have so much more information about God, and yet we struggle to have the faith that she has. I mean, she might have had fragments of a story of the Old Testament. More than likely, Mary's uneducated. She's just hearing bits and pieces from synagogue and places of worship and the temple, and, and yet... Yet she has enough faith to, at the announcement of this angel standing before her, to say that she will be pregnant and she's a virgin, that she in that moment believes God. And she stands as such an example to you and I about faith. You see, some of us struggle in our faith, and yet we have so much evidence. 
And Mary here, she's coming to the table with hardly any evidence in terms of what she knows. And she has enough faith to believe what God is saying to her. You know, some Christian traditions have elevated Mary to where we somehow venerate Mary and honor Mary. But Mary is not the object of our faith. Mary doesn't dispense grace. <laughs> Mary's a recipient of grace. The Bible says there, here, O favored one. The Bible says it a number of times, O favored one. You see, God came to Mary out of sheer grace. God comes to Mary out of his grace, and she serves as an example to our faith. So notice verse 38. Here's the response of Mary. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you see her faith? I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your faith, uh, your, your word. Now listen, there is so much humility and faith on the part of Mary. I mean, she's hearing this news for the first time, and she's like, I'm not holy. You know, like, she's not perfect. Some of us somehow think that Mary's perfect. Mary is not perfect. Mary stands in need of grace. Mary and Joseph go to the temple for purification of sins like everybody else. So, so, so Mary here is, is not holy. She is not God. And yet she says, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. Can I ask you a question? Do you not think Mary knows what's coming? Do you think she doesn't know what's coming? No, Mary knows so well what's at stake. She knows as she answers the angel. She knows what all is on the line. She's thinking about her marriage. She's thinking about her future. She's thinking about her reputation. She's thinking about her family. She's thinking about her identity. And in the moment where God comes to her and says, this is what I want to do with you, she says, then let it be so. It's like she's willing to let go of everything to simply disobey what God is saying. I want you to think about it. Have you ever thought about this, this story? Mary goes back after this moment. She stops by the local carpentry shop. Hey, Joseph, later today, when you get off work, we need to have a talk. Okay, Mary, sounds good. Sit down. Say, so I need you to be seated. I got to tell you some information. Okay. I'm pregnant. Pardon me? Yeah, I'm pregnant. Um, well, this afternoon, the angel of God came to me. I was sweeping the house. And uh, the baby in me is of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Joseph, what do you think he's thinking? <laughs> I think he probably did what most of us guys would do. He just gets up and walks away. Because Joseph knows that ain't my baby. So whose is it? And he's wrestling with it. He's wrestling with it. So much so, he, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that, that, that Joseph, that, that, that evening, he, he was wrestling with the reality of this. And that the Bible says this in the Gospel of Matthew that Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame. And so he would divorce her quietly. Hey, there'll be no, more mar there'll, there'll be no marriage. What, what Joseph was doing out of love for Mary was saying, hey, hey we're not going to get married but, but I'm not going to make you to a, a public spectacle of shame. I mean, Mary could be, she could be stoned for this. And Joseph said, I'm not going to do that. We're just going to call the marriage off. And he lays down and he goes to sleep. And the Bible says that that night, the angel of the Lord appeared to him 
in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What does this mean for you and I today? What is the story of this early picture of what is soon to take place at the nativity? What does it mean for us? Well, notice what Mary said. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Hey, can I ask you a question, friend? Can you say that? Will you say that to God today? Is that your heart? To say, hey, Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you want for my life, here's my life. Take my life. Use me wherever you want me to be, whatever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do. Lord, I'm your servant. Have your way with me as you see fit. You see, this is the story of Mary. And God looks down and he sees this girl, this young girl. And what does God do? He gives her favor. You know, Mary doesn't deserve the honor of this. Certainly, there would have been many other virgin girls in Nazareth. You say, so why Mary? Grace. Grace. It's all of grace. Mary humbles herself and says, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She's standing there as the angel's saying all this stuff to her. And she's like, I don't understand this. I'm scared. What is all this going to mean for my family? What is this going to mean for my reputation? Mary, her whole life was scorned. Jesus, people made fun of Jesus for for his family of origin. Well, we at least know who our dad is. What about you? And here Mary, she, 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 I think in that moment, it's like seeing the whole life in front of her, this flash of what she knows at stake. And yet she's willing to say, Lord, whatever you will, at your word, let it be so. Hey, can I ask you a question as we draw to a conclusion this morning? Look right up here. Have you today in your life come to a place where you say, God, whatever you want in my life, wherever it is, whatever it means, I will do it. This past week, we gathered for a special podcast episode. Uh, Tim, Reagan, and I on Where We Land brought back Morgan and Stephen for our 100th episode. And we talked about, and I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, but we talked about the most pressing issue in the church. And one of the things that came up in the course of the conversation was this. We're living in a generation today where many people in the church know truth and they, will, they willfully disobey it. Many of us clearly know what God wants from us and we're delaying to be obedient because we're struggling to know how is it all possible. And Mary came to this moment with the angel and she said, Lord, so be it. Whatever you want in my life, yes, with God, all things are possible. And when you come to that place in your life, friend, when you come to a moment in your life where where you understand that that this story here in our Bibles is a miraculous mystery. Oh yeah, it's a mystery about the virgin birth and the the miracle of miracles, really, in Christ coming to this world. But I think in some way, even more miraculous 
is the reality that God would take undeserving sinners like you and I and he would show them his grace. And he would adopt us into his family. And he would set his love upon us, not because of anything we've done, but because of who he is. And my friend, if God is willing to do that in your life today, then our response needs to be the response of Mary. Our, our response needs to be the heart of Mary that says, Lord, whatever you want for my life, whatever it means, I'm, I'm willing to have the faith to obey you. And can I tell you today, today, just like Mary, you and I look to her as an example, but we can also look to her as an example of faith to know that God's matchless grace is also available in our lives today. So my question is, will you believe God at his word? Will you put your faith in what God has said to you? No wavering, no turning back, no matter what it means, no matter what it costs. But you'd say, Lord, I'm, I'm your servant. Have your way in my life. It's like that old hymn we used to say, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Mold me, make me after your will. Lord, Lord I'm here. I'm in the stillness, I'm here. Would you pray that today? Would you pray that today? Bow your head with me this morning. Give you an opportunity right here this morning to, to come to a moment of humility, to come to a moment of honesty, don't say this, don't pray this if you don't mean it. But if you really today mean, Lord, whatever, wherever, however, you want to use my life for your glory, Lord, I'm willing to have it, let it be, done. let it be so. Let it be so. Would you pray that? Right there in the private recess of your own heart, just in the privacy of your own heart, just... Say that to the Lord. Lord, however, wherever, whatever, I'm, I'm willing to be used of you. Take my life. Use my life. Not because of anything I've done. I'm certainly not worthy of it. In fact, none of us are worthy to be used of God. But it's all of grace. It's all of grace. you come this morning there's some who are requested prayer of our church as you're praying there in your seat maybe you'd come this morning a number of cards appear you'd come and pray for someone in our congregation you'd have faith on the part of someone else to believe God for something in their life today would you come and pray Some of you right now are really facing the reality of what you're going to have to give up. You're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to have to let go of your dream for your life. You might have to suffer reproach for Christ. Maybe you'll be misunderstood. Maybe it's fear. But would you be able to, like Mary did, just open her hand up and say, Lord, take it all. 
I'm putting everything right here. I'm, I'm willing to believe you for what you said you will do. this morning we humbly say that Lord this is your church however you see fit Lord to lead us and guide us Lord you know what we need we just offer up everything in our life Lord that you would use us for your glory in whatever way you see fit we love you and praise you and give you all honor and devotion in Jesus name everyone said Amen. Amen.